after I was born again in 1975, God gave me the following word. One step at a time, one step at a time, it is enough. And God began taking me from one scripture to another, showing me to do that scripture, and I began following him that way. I just simply did the scripture that I read at the time, and after I had done that for a while, God would bring up another scripture, and I'd follow that scripture. And then I'd see another one, and I'd follow that scripture. You have to think of it as a highway. You pull onto the highway of God at the time you're born again. There are signs, signposts along the highway showing you which way to go, and those signposts are scriptures. You will follow one scripture for a day, a week, a month, a year, and then there is a fork in the road and another signpost, and it's a scripture. So you follow that scripture, and you keep doing that all your life. As long as you live on this earth, you are going to be exactly where God wants you at any given point in time prepared for that exact thing that is happening. And it is incredibly amazing when you do this. And if you have the Spirit of God in you, you can hear from the Spirit and you have the choice of going that way and following the Spirit. Today I'm going to talk to you about this because I have really quite an amazing testimony. I'm currently 82 years old. I was born again when I was approximately 37 years old. And God began teaching me to follow him. And this is a story of following him. On January the 10th, 1980, God spoke to me in the night while I was sleeping. It was like a very loud trumpet blowing in my ear. And I heard these words. Quote, Hartful, Hartford, Seattle, K-W-E-J-S, end quote. I heard Hartford, Seattle, K-W-J-S. I knew immediately that K-W-J-S had to be call letters for either radio or television. I quickly wrote these letters down, not wanting to get them mixed up. The next, well, that night probably, I looked in the directories and I found KWJS was a radio station. And I said to God, are you showing me to go on radio? I wouldn't know how to do that. I'm not a speaker, I'm a writer. Immediately I heard from the Holy Spirit, call the radio station manager. I'd said to God, I wouldn't know how to do this. God says to me, call the radio station manager. So that morning when the business offices opened, I called KWJS and asked to speak to the radio station manager. And I said to him, I think God might be showing me 
to go on radio, how would you do that? And the station manager said, make an audition tape 29 and a half minutes long and send it to us. And if your speaking fits our broadcast, we will offer you a contract. I was on radio within five days on KWJS. Within a year's time, I was on radio from Hartford to Seattle, which is coast to coast in the United States. Because that's what God wanted me to do. Now, here's the amazing thing. I knew I was called to be a prophet. I knew what prophets do in the church. I knew these things. There wasn't any church going to hire me to work for them as a prophet. They can't stand prophets. Prophets can't be controlled by them. Why, that person might say anything at any given moment. There's no way I can earn a living in the church that way. So God put me on radio. They didn't have control over me. I didn't have a censor. At first, God gave me messages concerning taking thoughts captive, healing the wounded believer, dealing with destructive thoughts, guidance from God, and they wanted to hear those messages. Those people ate those messages up. For a couple of years, I was extremely popular. Then one day in Seattle, I heard, the foundation is laid, now we are really going to move. Wow, I thought that was wonderful. God began speaking something else to me. The time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And then he opened my eyes to see sins being committed in, by various big-time ministers and by the teaching I'd had from God in Ezekiel, I knew I had to tell those ministers the sins. But I couldn't get to the ministers to tell them the messages from God because they shield themselves, even though I was rather popular on radio in the 1980s. Still, I couldn't get a message to them. And I knew I had to. So what I did, I was reading the Bible one day and I saw a passage of scripture where Paul said, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm, beware of him, for he greatly withstood my words. Where Paul warned the church, naming by name the offender, and I saw and knew I had to begin doing this on my own radio broadcast. Naming the offending minister by name and telling the message from God that I had for that minister. The message definitely reached that minister. One of the ministers was Jimmy Swigert, who owned KWJS. He also owned the station in Houston where I was broadcasting. They put me off the air instantly. In Seattle, the radio station manager said to me, Joan, you have many wonderful messages. Just speak those messages. Don't speak these judgment messages. Just speak those wonderful messages. The Holy Spirit rose up in me to say to George, well, first George said, after he said that, he said, 
If you keep speaking these judgment messages, I don't know what's going to happen to you. We may have to put you off the air. The Holy Spirit raised up in me instantly to respond to George as follows. If I don't speak the message that I believe to be from God, then I don't have a message, and I may as well be off the air. And that defined the rest of my life. I can only speak the message given me by the Holy Spirit. That's the message God wants you to have. I have no choice. One of the offices given to me is prophet. I have two offices given by Jesus. Apostle, prophet. Ephesians chapter 4, after he arose, he gave to the church gifts of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. I am called as an apostle prophet. That's the work I do. If you know anything at all about the Bible, you will know that prophets are sent to the church and the church always killed the prophets. But God sent the prophets anyway. And God even told Ezekiel, they won't listen to you, but go to them and speak my words to them. Even though they won't listen to you. Another message that I had as soon as I was born again, God showed me this. Get out of debt and stay out of debt. At that time, I owned a small business. A woman who was one of my customers had put, I think, $6,000 into that business, wanting to be a part of the business. But she was an unbeliever. And after I was born again, I saw that scripture which says, Be not unequally yoked to unbelievers. That's in uh, 2 Corinthians 6. Here I'm unequally yoked to an unbeliever. So from that moment of seeing that scripture, I determined to get free from the debt that Carolyn had put into the ministry, from the money she had put in. I determined to pay her back. I didn't know exactly how I could do it, but before God I determined to do it. Based on that scripture, Shortly after that, I went on a buying trip to Santa Fe. And in a store, I saw something over in the corner. And I said to the owner, what is that? And he said, oh, it's an old Navajo rug. And I said, well, let me see that. And he pulled it out, and I just thought it was spectacular. Though I didn't know anything at all about rugs. My business was in jewelry and pottery. But I couldn't walk away from it. Another thing I learned from God is follow your interest. If something just burns a hole through you, if you have any doubt, well, pray and say, should I buy this? But I was always praying that. But don't be wise in your own eyes. Buy it. So I had cash, and I said, I'm just going to have to buy this rug. The two women who work for me in the shop 
in Dallas were with me at the time, and they were shocked that I would do that. Because we made our money in jewelry and pottery. I don't know anything about rugs. So I took the rug and went down to Albuquerque, bought the rug, went down to Albuquerque, and went to Old Town and arranged to have the rug appraised. Unknown to me, the woman who was in the store to appraise rugs was one of the most famous authorities in Navajo rugs that existed at that time. And she appraised the rug. And she said to me, now, Joan, this, you've really lucked out on this thing. She said, most people buy these old rugs and they're not worth a penny. But she said, this is a valuable rug. It's worth at least $1,500 today. When you go back to Dallas in your shop, you price this rug at a price where it will not sell because it's going to go up in value through the years and you're going to want to hold on to this rug. Well, I got back to Dallas and the very first day a man came in and the rug happened to be off the side of the room rolled up and he was there to buy jewelry. But he looked over there to the side and he said, what is that? And I said, oh, that's a Navajo rug, an old one. He said, well, let me see it. I said, oh, you wouldn't want to buy that. Oh, well, let me see it. So reluctantly, I rolled it out there in front of him. He took one look at it, and he said, how much? I said, $5,000, and he said, I'll take it. Well, I was horrified. I never overpriced anything in my business. I considered that it was my responsibility to protect my customers. So I was very careful with merchandise. And here I had a rug that I had paid $500 for, which was appraised for $1,500, and I was selling it for $5,000. I was just absolutely horrified. So I begged him not to buy the rug. Well, he was insisting. He wrote a check out while I was begging him not to buy that rug. So I said to him, all right, I'll take your check. But here's what I'm going to do. I will not cash your check for one week. And if you change your mind about this rug, you come back and I will give you your check back. I never saw the man again. So immediately, I took that check of $5,000 and put $1,000 with it and paid off Carolyn and unyoked myself from an unbeliever. So between the years of 1975 and 1979, I attended church, I attended prayer group, I read the Bible constantly and tried to do the scriptures that I saw. And I stayed out of debt. And during these years, it became obvious to most people that I had a call of God on my life because he gave me gifts of the Holy Spirit. And when I presented these words of knowledge and words of wisdom, they saw that something of God was there. And I saw that I was called to the ministry, and God worked with me to get me to accept that. And he did get me to accept it. But the one thing I knew is I couldn't get in debt. It would have been terrifying to tie yourself up to debt and be a minister. 
But I don't think anyone should and be a Christian. I think we should live within our means. But in my case, I just couldn't do it. I could not get in debt. During some of those years, I attended Word of Faith in Dallas. And I became embarrassed because one of the teachings was that if God is with you, he will bless you. Well, I drove an old car. And my old car had to sit outside in the hot Texas sun. And the top of my old car was vinyl. And it broke and peeled. And I looked like anything but prosperous. And it embarrassed me. One time I went to um, pick up Marilyn Hickey at the airport and help her get to the hotel. And I was so embarrassed with my car that I asked the man I was dating, who had a new car, to take me over there to pick up Marilyn. Because I was embarrassed to be seen in my old car. It looked like I wasn't being blessed by God. A woman who worked for me at that time, and she also attended the faith movement churches, she said, well, Joan, go buy a new Cadillac. We can afford that. We can pay it off by month. We can make payments on a new Cadillac for you. And I said, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to get in debt. Well, as I continue this story, you will see how tragic it would have been if I'd been in debt. So after seven, several years on radio, between the years of 1984 and year 2000, between those years, I communicated with the radio audience all over the United States by written materials. I would send out one writing every week so they would have exhortations. During that time, something else happened. My dad died, and my mother was left alone in Clovis, New Mexico, USA. And I could have lived anywhere because all I did was do writings and mail them through U.S. post office. So I could live anywhere in the United States. So I decided to move to Clovis, New Mexico, where my mother lived. My dad had left me $50,000 and I decided I would buy a trailer house and park it on our lot in Clovis, New Mexico, where my mother's trailer house was parked. But I went to look at trailer houses and I didn't like it. I went inside. It didn't feel stable to me. And then I remembered my dad had left me $50,000. And we owned the lot where my mother's house trailer was parked. So I went to Clovis and found a contractor, and he said he could build me an apartment for $45,000. I had 50000 cash. So I told him, build it. And we parked my mother's trailer behind my apartment. That was 1985 that I moved to Clovis. But I didn't like the neighborhood. It was too noisy for me. So I began looking out at an area north of Clovis, and they had a golf course there where they were building houses on the golf course. I found a lot on the golf course, which was $13,350 on the golf course. 
Well, I had some extra cash by then, and I bought that lot. I knew I could always sell that lot for that amount of money if I couldn't build on it. In 1990, I had the faith and courage to put the apartment up for sale and build a house on the golf course for my mother to move into with me. The builder said he could build it for 100000 Between my mother's money, my money, excess ministry money, I built it for 100000 and put it in the name of the ministry. I lived there 10 years and my mother died. I put the house up for sale. It sold for $227,000. There had been an increase in the real estate market in Clovis. So the house that I put the 100000 in now brought me 227000 Now remember that all this time I'm living out of debt. I have no mortgage. I paid cash for these houses these building projects. The first one was 45, I paid 45. The second one was 100. I had accumulated the money by then and the lot. The third one was gonna be in Lubbock, Texas. I bought the lot immediately, put the house up for sale in Clovis, paid cash for the lot. That house sold for $227,000. So I took that money and put all of my personal money in with it to build a house in Lubbock, Texas. I lived in it almost 20 years, and then I needed to move. I couldn't live alone any longer. I was 81 years old. I fell. I had a bad accident. I'd had surgery. I I just couldn't do it. I couldn't keep living alone. One of our church members, a member of the body of Christ, I'd seen the way she worked through the years. We, she did the technical work on my books, and I had plenty of witnesses that when she had a problem, she turned to God and prayed and followed the Spirit of God and solved the problem. It worked out for me to move into her house in Colorado Springs. So I put the house in Lubbock up for sale and planned to live in Pam's house, and I felt, well, if it didn't work out living in Pam's house, I could go to assisted living in Colorado Springs. At least she would be there to help me while I was in assisted living. I could use the money from the sale of the house to pay for the assisted living if it didn't work for me to live in Pam's house. I put the house up for sale, and it did not sell. For a year and a half, it sat there without selling, In the peak of the coronavirus in March 2020 in the United States, the peak of the coronavirus in the United States, when everyone was terrified and all the businesses closed and all the sports teams quit playing and it was a serious problem known to all. I put the house, the house hadn't sold in the past year and a half, And I prayed to God and said, is there anything you want me to do about that house in Texas? And I had the concept brought to my mind immediately. Put it on a special sale for one week and reduce the price of the house. I lowered the price by $50,000 
told the realtor, put it on sale for one week. It sold in two days. Right at the peak of the coronavirus, where people were terrified. You would think they would be terrified to buy a house. So when the dust settled and all of the uh, realtor fees were paid and the titles were paid uh, that had to be paid for the house and dust surveys were made to sell the house, the ministry ended up with $285,000 cash. Now by this time, our people had died off during the years between 1980 and the year 2020. Many of our church members were old and had died, so offerings had decreased dramatically. At the time I was doing, by the time I got to this point, which is hilarious because here all of a sudden, I'm 82 years old. We have only five people giving offerings. And the total offerings per month are about $1,200 per month. But when the house sold and we got the cash for that house, oh, we had ample money to keep this ministry going. And all this stuff was decreasing in expenses for the ministry. Plus, I was living at Pam's house. Now, I insisted on paying her. She did not want me to pay for this room, but I insisted on paying her $575 a month for the room and bath where I live, where the ministry office would now be, where my bed would now be, everything in one place. And when the house sold, (laughs) My expenses went down very much. We no longer had to pay those utilities on that house. We no longer had to pay insurance. We no longer had to pay to have the grass mowed. It's hot in Texas. You have at least nine months of grass mowing. And you have to mow every week down there because it grows so fast. And you have to water it constantly. So you've got all these bills on grass. I was so glad not to have this any longer. About three or four weeks have passed between the time I'm recording this and the time the house was finalized and we got the money. And I still can't believe the house is sold. I still just rejoice. I just can't believe this burden is lifted. But God did everything he showed me he would do and then some. So here at 82 years old, we have this money in a bank, in a money market, to finance the ministry. We have five people giving offerings, which is plenty. I don't have to ask you for offerings. And we just, it's great. All of this happened One step at a time, one step at a time, it is enough. It's really more than enough. It's ample, ample, abundance. Everything I've spoken to you today is printed for you on our blog, Jesus Ministries Exhortations. Go to the blog. On the right-hand side of the page, you'll see podcast. You can bring up this podcast and see all of this in writing 
The title is One Step at a Time, One Step at a Time, It is Enough. Once again, the blog name is Jesus Ministries Exhortations. Thank you for allowing me to share this with you today.